Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. If not now, when? The governor of the state of Texas, Greg Abbott, announced yesterday that he feels and believes it is time to end the statewide mask mandate in Texas and open up the state. And that is precisely what he has done, removing state restrictions. Now, that doesn't mean that people who want to wear masks can't wear masks. It doesn't mean that businesses that want to impose rules saying, hey, if you want to come into the business, you, you've got to wear a mask, doesn't mean that, that they don't have the right to impose those rules. And I believe it also allows different communities who think that they have a need to do it to try to put their own mask mandates or other requirements in place. But the governor has decided, you know what, looking at all the numbers and remembering what the goal was in the beginning. Remember back at the start of COVID, what did we hear all the different scientists say? What was the goal? The goal was to flatten the curve. Remember back then, what did flatten the curve mean? Flatten the curve recognized that we were not going to be able to limit, to eliminate COVID-19. We were not going to be able to limit the virus. So the idea was recognizing that people were going to get the virus, just like people get the flu every year. And I know it's not the flu. I get that. But the idea was we're, we're not going to eliminate COVID-19. COVID is going to be with us, and it will be with us for the foreseeable future. But the idea was that we want to flatten the curve. In other words, we want to make sure that so many people get it, don't get it, that, that overwhelms the hospital system like you had in the very early stages. Well, all right, the governor of Texas says we, we flattened the curve. We, we, we have flattened the curve. The hospital system is not overwhelmed. In Wisconsin, the hospital system is not overwhelmed. We've had that uh, that the, the facility at State Fair that w- was never had more than, I believe, about 25 patients in it, its highest, hasn't had anybody there since, uh, what, Christmas Eve was the last day that was there. Hospitals are not overwhelmed. So we're, we're flattening the curve. Doesn't mean people aren't still catching or contracting COVID-19. That's the case. And that's probably going to be continue to be the case even after you get a, a mass degree of vaccinations, because there's going to be some people that just decide that they don't want to get vaccinated, etc. But the governor of Texas has decided, OK, we have achieved this. We have flattened the curve. And now it is time to get back to a sense of normalcy. And as far as the state of Texas is concerned, he says it's time to do it. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to do that in Wisconsin? And if it's not time now, when will it be time to, uh, again, remove these various restrictions? Uh, a month from now? After wh- And what is the standard going to be? Is it a month from now? After you have a greater percentage of people who've been vaccinated, is it two months from now after, you know, an even greater percentage has been vaccinated? At what point in time do we say, okay, we're pulling back 
these statewide restrictions. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think it's time to remove all the restrictions in Wisconsin, but I think we're getting awful close to it. And for people out there who are saying, well, no, we're going to need this for another year or two, I'm I'm sorry. I just don't think we we have to figure out a way to live with COVID-19 moving forward. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should we follow the lead of Texas and remove restrictions, open the state up 100%. We discuss in just a moment. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, the governor of Texas has said, look, I'm, I'm removing mask mandates. We are opening Texas up. Now, different localities can go a different direction if they want. And, of course, businesses always have the right to say, we want you to wear masks inside our business. And, of course, there's nothing that stops people for who want to you know, wear masks from, from wearing masks. But the governor is removing the statewide restriction. We're discussing, should Wisconsin do it? My answer is, I don't guess we're there yet, but I think we're pretty darn close. And keep in mind, the goal has always been to flatten the curve. That, that's the idea. If the standard is, well, we're not opening things up, we're not going back to normal until there's no coronavirus, then we're never going back to normal. I think once we get more people vaccinated, and Joe Biden says by May, everybody who wants a vaccine is going to have access to having them, certainly no longer than that. 855-616-1620, and maybe before, let's talk to uh, Bob. Bob, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Uh, I concur. I, I think uh, a couple months, let's wait for uh, the vaccine to get more prevalent and get like over 50% of the people vaccinated. And um, you get a, it'll be warmer in a couple months. You'll have more outdoor uh, uh, dining or things to do. I, I think we've come this far. We should uh, wait for the uh, the vaccine rollout. And then the people that want it will have it. And the people that don't want it probably haven't gotten they haven't been taking the same care as others and don't believe they can get sick and they probably won't get sick. So right. I, well, and it, it's a couple of three months. Right. Well, thanks for calling. See, and I, I mean, and it, at that point in time, I, I think, I think that the, the, the argument is going to be, right, if people choose, if people have been going along for the last year and haven't gotten, the, the, haven't gotten sick, haven't gotten COVID yet, and they choose not to get the vaccine, well, okay, they're, they're taking a risk that they're, they're going to get sick. But, but that's, that's unfortunately just the, the risk that you end up living with. You can't, in my opinion, force everybody else to start to stop living their lives because some people, you know, make the decision to take that risk. Again, keep in mind the goal. The goal all along has been flattening the curve. Now, I listen to the, the Dr. Fauci's of the world, and I'm not an anti-Fauci guy, but it, it's it's kind of like the whack-a-mole thing. All right, we, we yes, we have now flattened the curve. Yes, the number of infections are, are down. Yes, the number of deaths are, are down. But, but, well, you know, we've got to be worried about another spike or something. It, well, there's always another spike to, that, that could potentially happen. I do think it is probably prudent for government to play a role, but, but that's... That role is going to be ending sometime soon, as soon as we get more of the vaccine rolled out. And like I say, I think it was good news that you had President Biden today or yesterday out there saying, well, we, we've 
we we think that by the end of of May, you know, anybody that wants the vaccine is going to get it. And and by the way, just as an aside, that it, it's great that that's happening. But does anybody really believe that that would not have happened if it weren't for Donald Trump's Operation Warp Speed? I mean, it for all the criticism that people want to level on Donald Trump for the way he handled the pandemic. And I understand that there's a lot of there, there's lots of things you can criticize him on, including like the lack of empathy and things like that. There, there's no question that that Operation Warp Speed worked to put us in a position where Joe Biden can come out and say, hey, we think that we're going to be able to have enough vaccine to give everybody the dose they want. 855-616-1620. All right. Is it dumb for Texas to open up the state? Um Jeff, I think it's definitely time to stop with the mask mandates. Um, by the way, though, outside of Madison and Milwaukee, most have already stopped wearing masks. Jeff, masks must go. No actual evidence they worked anyways, especially not outside where it doesn't spread. At some point, we have to return to American values of personal responsibility. Jeff, Texas is not ruled by the brightest people. Just look at their latest disasters. Wait until 80% or more are vaccinated before stopping the mask. Mandate. Okay, well, that's the problem with that is I don't know that you're ever going to get 80% of the population ma- vaccinated. I just don't know that that's ever going to happen. You have a hardcore set of people who aren't going to get vaccinated. That That's just the reality. I don't know if, if I don't know if 80% of the population will voluntarily do it. I, I think quite candidly, you're going to be lucky to have two thirds. I think if you can get 65% of the population vaccinated, you're, you're, you're going to be doing something. Not because I'm anti-vaccination, but because there's a lot of people who are, for a variety of different reasons, they're going to decide not to do it. Well, so they're going to be at a greater risk of getting it, but I don't think you can hold up everybody else because people make the decision to not take a vaccine when it's made available to them. And so I think that's, that's what the key of this is um okay let's see and um uh jeff um are you serious follow the example of the jerk who presided over one of the disasters in modern texas history well okay you you do have the the power grid that uh was going down uh so what do you end up doing jeff you really hate fauci i can tell i know I, i don't hate dr fauci i think i think that he's would do well if he would turn down an occasional television interview instead of going on TV and giving contradictory information every three days that I I don't think contributes to the overall situation. Jeff, between vaccinations and real number of cases, we're going to be near herd immunity soon, and we should look at protecting the more vulnerable only at that point. Um, let's see, 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, wait and see what happens in the states that have opened up. Uh, well, you know, the, you, you have some states that have essentially been open all the time, and the results haven't been worse than the states which have, in large respect, been closed down. Jeff, Mississippi followed suit and are 100% open. All state mandates are canceled starting today. Let's hope these are the first dominoes to fall, and other states, including Wisconsin, um, will follow. Jeff, let businesses decide on their own. I expect some businesses will continue with a mask requirement. I agree with you. 15% will never get the vaccine. I actually think it might be a larger percentage than that. The people that are just going to make the decision not to get the vaccine, and to them, you say, okay, you're, you're taking your chances. But again, keep in mind what the goal 
has always been. It's to flatten the curve. And when I hear people talk now, they're not talking about flattening the curve. They're saying, well, you know, we, we can't return to normal until we, we've essentially eliminated COVID-19. To which my point is you're never going to eliminate, eliminate COVID-19. There's always going to be people that are going to be getting it. Jeff, I agree with you. This was a long winter. To top it off, it was an election season. Warm dip days are proving how desperately Wisconsinites want to go out. I have antibodies from previously having COVID. Additionally, as a part-time child care worker, I had the opportunity to get my first shot yesterday. will be fully vaccinated in a matter of weeks. I'm 22 years old and beyond eager to get back to concerts, games, and living my early 20s respectively um yeah what can you say 855-616-1620 we continue the conversation in a moment welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, open up the state when we're fifth when we're at seventy percent vaccinated. Require proof of a vaccination to enter large events. Well, again, I I, I don't know that you're ever going to get to seventy percent. That is, I think, a very very real issue. You have lots of people who are making the decision that they choose not to be vaccinated, and I, you know, and, and I guess people can roll their eyes and say that's dumb, but well, maybe it's not necessarily dumb for them. What about the people who've had COVID, for example, who have antibodies, who are making the decision that, you know what, I, I understand in a theoretical, theoretical sense, they say that I can get reinfected, but there, that's, that's really very, very rare. I'm not suggesting it's never happened, but it doesn't happen very often. They don't know how long those antibodies last they they don't know i mean right now they're saying well you have at least three months after you've recovered but then there's other studies that say well it's at least six months they don't know so you're going to have a percentage of people who are saying well okay maybe i I see some of these side effects of the vaccinations and i'm not trying to discourage anybody from getting vaccinated but some people are saying hey i've had covid i've recovered i've got these antibodies plus um i'm just i'm I'm willing to take you know my chances so they're they're not going to get vaccinated then you have the other people who believe that the vaccinations were rolled out too quickly or there's the possibility for the side effects or whatever they're not going to get vaccinated well, I, I don't think the I don't think the number of people who are vaccinated can be the standard for whether or not you decide to lift restrictions. Now, I think a better way to look at it is the availability of the vaccine, because all you can do is give people a chance. You can lead that horse to water, but you can't make that horse drink. So you give the people the chance to do it if they choose not to do it. Well, OK, that's the risk that they end up running. Now, if suddenly all those 30% of the people or the 35% who don't get vaccinated, if they suddenly all get sick and have to be hospitalized, well, maybe you have to come up to plan B. But if they haven't gotten sick in the last year, right, is that really a reasonable re- response? Jeff, it's time to let businesses open up, including schools. If there are people who don't feel comfortable going out, I respect that. But please don't try to tell the rest of us that we can't. I've been in two restaurants recently. I felt very, very safe. Jeff, I know quite a few people that are not going to get the vaccine. I'm 53 and healthy. I'm not going to get it. There's no proof that the long-term effects from the vaccine, there's no proof there's no long-term effects from the vaccine. It was rushed out. So again, that's, and I'm hearing from a lot of people who feel that way. And I've said this before, when the vaccine becomes available to me, I intend to get it. That's the plan I have. But, but, 
I, I can't look at other people who say, hey, I've had COVID, I've recovered or or whatever. I'm willing to take the risk. I, I can't say to them, well, I just think you're dumb and, and you we're not going to force those people to get the vaccines. So, all right, you, you end up taking your chances if you make those decisions, just like people who don't get the flu shot run a greater risk of getting the flu. And once again, don't send me the text. I know that COVID is different. Then the flu. Jeff, realistically, do you actually see Tony Evers doing this? He will keep the state locked down and jailed for as long as he possibly can. Same with Tom Barrett. The curve has to be a straight line zero for them to change. And um, it's a shame. Well, that's why I keep reminding people whenever you see these doctors on TV and they start talking about opening the state, notice how the dialogue has changed from the flattening the curve to, well, we, we, we've got to eliminate this disease. Well, okay, all well and good, but you got to understand, I don't think anybody would say we're ever going to be able to eliminate COVID. It's going to be with us for a long time. What we can do is for controlling it. Jeff, I'm all for opening it up. Our youth are struggling academically and socially. Businesses are suffering. It's my belief that everyone has been exposed to COVID by now, if they've known it or not. Well, I, I don't know about that, but once the vaccine is available, that to me is the standard. And once everybody who can get it, whether it's March or April, or if President Biden is correct and it's in May, once that is available to everybody, that's the point in time where we say, OK, fine, you make your decision and then you have the chance to protect yourself. If you choose not to do that, that's fine. Boom, we're going to move on. So would I do what the governor of Texas did today? No, I wouldn't. Would I do it sooner rather than later? Absolutely. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. At what point does the cancel culture go too far? Yesterday, March 2nd, was Read Across America Day, and it was a day where schools, you know, held this tradition to encourage reading. And, and one of one of the books and one of the authors that was regularly read, particularly in like the grammar schools and all, was was Dr. Seuss, Theodore Gassel. And matter of fact, remember a couple of years ago, M- Michelle Obama, of all people, you know, she she was one of the people that was out there and doing the read-ins of the book, The Cat in the Hat. Well, this started about a year ago when Dr. Seuss became controversial. And you have a couple educators who've said that we essentially need to cancel Dr. Seuss. And to that end, they've been pushing to have some of the books removed from the libraries or not available to be read. And the other day, the Dr. Seuss Foundation said there's six of the books that Dr. Seuss wrote that that they're not going to publish anymore because of the controversial nature of the material. Now, you might say, how did Dr. Seuss become controversial? Um, Well, Dr. Seuss was, I think, born in 1904. He was a a product of his time. In in World War II, he actually was one of the people, he did did political cartoons. And he would, as many of the political cartoonists of the time, now keep in mind, we were at war with Japan and Germany. And so he would do political cartoons. Now, those political cartoons and some of the depictions of, for example, the Japanese, 
were, by, by today's standard, you'd look at that and you'd say, oh my gosh, this stuff is incredibly racist because it's got the slanty eyes and stuff like that. Now, of course, you've got to understand the context, and the context is we are at war with Japan. Remember Pearl Harbor and all those things? And a lot of, for example, editorial cartoonists, that is how they portrayed the enemy. So Dr. Seuss was, in many respects, a product of his times. So how has Dr. Seuss become controversial? Well, they, some academics who have way too much time on their hands go out and they do this study of all the different Dr. Seuss books and all the different characters. And what they find is that there are an overwhelming number of characters who are male, very few characters who are female, and then you have some books that have portrayals of people who are in what would be fairly described as a, a stereotypical sort of portray, uh, portrayal. For example, <clears throat> there's the book, If I Ran the Zoo, which was you know one, one of his more famous books. And the whole idea is it's a book about um, you know what happened if a boy you know ran the local zoo. And so there, there's all sorts of different images. A lot of the animals are drawn in the Dr. Seuss sort of fashion. And then there's a provision where it's um, the African island of Yurka on which lived the tufted mazurka. And in the drawing, this, this bird is perched on a pole being held by two caricatures of African men that are, are obviously and immediately depicted as racist. I mean, it's one of these sort of stereotypical kind of drawings. It was the type of drawing that probably would not have gotten noticed when he first did it. But by you know today's standards, you look at this and you say, well, that, that's clearly inappropriate. You wouldn't do that today. But nevertheless, it, it was part of the book, and it was something that was accepted at least at the time. So that doesn't make it right, but it does make it a, a part of history. Similarly, in a couple of these other books, they're, they're depicting uh, depictions of, of Oriental men, and again, it's in that stereotypical way I described earlier. You wouldn't do that in 2021. But again, you know, Dr. Seuss, he, he's drawing caricatures. And these were some of the common characters, caricatures that he used, not unlike some of the old Bugs Bunny cartoons, if you've ever seen them, from World War II, where Bugs Bunny was fighting the Germans and Bugs Bunny was fighting the Japanese, who we were, in fact, at war with. And a lot of the cartoons had what you would describe as the stereotypical depictions of, you know, the Oriental men, the Japanese that he was fighting against, because we, we were in a war. Okay, so our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If we accept the fact that some of the drawings contained in some of the Dr. Seuss books that were produced 50, 60 years ago, if we concede the fact that by today's standards, those drawings are unacceptable, those drawings are stereotypical, those drawings are, are racist drawings in and of themselves, right? does that justify canceling the books? Does that say these books shouldn't be read? Does that say the, these books shouldn't be available? Is there, or it's actually there was a story I was reading, it asked the question, is there a point in imposing wokeness on the past? 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, the, one of the real interesting things about this controversy about Dr. Seuss is Dr. Seuss was a big time.
time lefty. I mean, Dr. Dr. Seuss was, I mean, he was, you know, one of the high priests of the environmental movement. I mean, re- remember, they, they've made movies about some of his books that are there. In 1961, Dr. Seuss wrote a book called, I think it's The Sneetches, which was an examination of, of racism. I mean, Dr. Seuss, in many respects, was way ahead of his time when it came to identifying some of these, these cultural issues. You can make a strong argument that Dr. Seuss was woke before anybody knew what woke was, you know, when some of the stuff that he wrote, but there's no question that some of the stuff that he drew by today's standards would not meet in a suit was would not be suitable. All right, does that mean you cancel it? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage uh, talk and text line. Is there a point in imposing wokeness on on the past and saying, okay, well, people shouldn't read these particular books? We discuss in a moment. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Jeff, when is this ever going to end? This is a part of history as was depicted at the time. Some arts, some books, some movies, etc., are part of our history. Yes, we can learn from them moving forward. Please allow people to be smart enough to be able to determine if they want to read or watch any of the potentially offensive art, literature, or, or movies. It's this, this idea that, look, if, if the Seuss Foundation decides that they, they don't want to take the heat and, and print six of these books, that, that's a business decision that they get to make. But when... For example, we start canceling Dr. Seuss on the like read across America Day. Right, that's not the that's not the the people that own the books making this decision. That's our, our educators making the decision because oh, don't you understand, Dr. Seuss? He, he it's all, almost all the characters are male, and then look at some of these depictions that are out there instead of understanding the historical context for it and using it as perhaps a, a teachable moment. You know, one of the the other. One of the other, like, childhood books that, that's coming under all sorts of fire is Curious George. Remember the Curious George books when you were a kid? Well, I mean, why are Curious George books getting um, all the the heat? Well, because the, the basic plot line of Curious George is you have the, the, the man in the yellow hat um, who... You know, brought Curious George home from Mexico, from Mexico, from Africa. How horrible is is that? You know, again, where do you end up drawing the line? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Gianni in Montello. Gianni, hello. Yeah, hello, Jeff. Uh, I'm melting up here. Uh, great, great weather. Spring is here. Hey, listen. Uh, you know, I, I think. Um, being um, Scandinavian myself of Norwegian distraction, if you really want to go down this rabbit hole, um, then why not um, why not ban and get rid of depictions of Norwegians wearing animal skins and waving battle axes being very violent? I mean, I, I think this is pretty much a waste of time. I mean, stereotypes are, you know, everybody takes them tongue-in-cheek uh, with, with a grain of salt. They, they exist in every culture and every society. Um, yeah, I, I think this is um, making a mountain out of a molehill. Well, I, you know, well, this yeah. is, well, th- it, no, it, so there are real issues of racism yes. in, in, in the world, and this just 
absolutely. Not one of them. No, that, see, absolutely. That, see, that, that's, that to me is the key. There are very real is, issues of racism that, that are out there. There are, there are racist books. There are racist pamphlets. There are racist movies. But, you know, when, when you look at these kids' books, and yes, I, I understand that if you look at a depiction of two African men in, um, I think it was in the, in the, the zoo book, all right, you, you look at that and you would say, hey, by today's standards, by 2021 standards, you wouldn't draw something like that. It, it's a caricature. It's got, I guess, um, admittedly racist overtones, even though I don't think anybody really argues that Dr. Seuss w- was a, a racist. It was more like, okay, this was just a caricature of the time, not unlike Again, as somebody who, you know, was working, you know, and doing cartoons and stuff like that during World War II, yes, you you had the stereotypical depiction of Orientals, some of which carried over to some of his works and his books, but, but again, he was a product of his time. Do we accomplish anything by going back and saying, "Hey, you know, we 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 don't we don't want our kids to be able to read the, these these Dr. Seuss books because they, they might see the, this particular picture? Maybe it's an opportunity to say, "Look, this is how some people thought back in 1945. We don't think that way now. We we've we've grown from that." I mean. Don't we have the possibility and the potential for doing that? 855-616-1620. Let's talk to Mike and Franklin. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Uh, first thing I just want to kind of tickle your feet with is you've used the word oriental quite a few times now. Weren't we told a couple of years ago that that was an appropriate word? No. But I, 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 I lose I lose I lose track of, of of what's appropriate not those were the depictions and that's the way it was described like in the the different again the, the movies and the drawings and the things like that I mean no offense no, I'm just trying to describe it. yeah right exactly okay word word you know but I I just caught the end of the last call and yeah it's one of the things I find kind of contradictory. With those arguments, though, is that, as I recall, nobody really wants to show this on TV, so you can't even know what they're talking about. But I've heard that the the African-American person um, had the hair style. Well, no, it, 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 it's sort of like, I mean, thanks. I mean, here, here's what here's what the depiction is. It, it would be. The, the depiction in, in the book that, that's generating the controversy is uh, imagine a, a native tribesman, you know, from, from Africa. You know, I mean, think think back to the Tarzan movies and things like that. I mean, that that's what the depiction is. And people are arguing, well, this is unfairly stereotypical, et cetera, et cetera, and it doesn't represent the African experience. And th- there's valid points to all this, okay? I mean, you know, it, it's sort of like, I mean, think of the old images in the movies. You've got the head, you know, the, the headhunters and, and things like that okay it's it was it was probably never accurate it was probably something that was just sort of a made-up thing from the beginning but but it's there and that's what the caricature was aren't we better off just identifying it as the caricature and just saying all right this is how this is how it's a product of this particular time we don't think like this anymore let's talk to vincent on the northwest side hi vincent Good afternoon, Jeff. I, I think these depictions are wrong. The, the, the fact is, these are characters 
of uh, racial characters that are put in this particular book. Let's take Huckleberry Finn, Finn for instance. Uh, the fact is that's part of his historical nature because because the the, the story is based in that particular time period where 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 where, where slavery slavery existed mm-hmm. in the South. So so that's part of historical nature where I, I believe that 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 those books are beneficial. But but basically, you're saying that okay, we should we should continue to have characters characters of uh, 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 no. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm saying that we shouldn't it's erase. No, no, it's not part of his. No, no, no. But Vincent, I, no, no, you're, Vincent, don't put words in my mouth. I'm not saying we should continue to do it. I am saying that we shouldn't erase things from books that have been there for the last 60 or 70 years. We should explain what the context is and learn from that. I mean, that's that's different than that's different than scrubbing going back and scrubbing stuff from things that have been around for 70 years is different than saying hey if we were producing it today we'd produce it in the same way now the the, the point is is that like i said that, you know if, if if we sat around and had all, all the things that that were done all the all the, the 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 posters the movies and things of that sort that uh, created characters of of of, of black people Native American, mm-hmm. uh, Native individuals in this country, it, it 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 is. We have to get rid of those things. Okay, so the by when when you say by when you say it. by get rid of them, I just want to understand it. Are are you talking about book banning? So should we go should we go through libraries and start pulling out any book written in the last two hundred years that has offensive caricatures or something that would be deemed by 2021 standards to be offensive, we should pull those books out and we should burn them. If it's not based on the history of this country, if it's not based on the historical history of this country, yes, you should. Because basically, you're basically taking a character yeah. and, 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 and leaving it out there. I have an individual that has as, as, as these, these figures. He had these figures, uh, salt shakers of the big lip, dark skin, mm-hmm. big eyed black folks. Mm-hmm. Now, the fact is, you could say, well, that was part of the history back then. But no, the fact is, he got rid of those because huh. the fact is, is that these were stereotypical. Sure. These were and, not and, right, your friend, your friend, right? Your friend made that decision that the, these are offensive and he got rid of them. And I, I respect that. And I, I get that. But who, who makes this decision? I mean, think of what you're telling me, Vincent. You're now saying, I want somebody to go through our libraries open up books and decide whether something is offensive or not, and then we're going to remove it. I mean, who who do you want making that decision? You, me, my producer, the governor? Who gets to make that decision? I don't know who gets to make that decision, Jeff, but but I, but I know we need to we need to we need to start basing things on truth, and we need to understand that these things were were put put in put in put in the context that these were put in for racist reasons, and and we need to understand that. Well, okay, so let me stop you. Do, don't, now, don't do you think? Well, wait now. Now, see, Doctor Seuss. Let's go back to Doctor Seuss. Doctor Seuss. I, I don't think anybody argues that he was a racist. Doctor Seuss was one of these. He, he has some stereotypical depictions that are are in in there and let's like use the one again for, for Asians you know during the, the for Japanese and stuff some of those yeah okay so let, let's let's use that as the example um, does that mean because he's drawing the characters in that fashion does that automatically mean that he is a racist 
No, it, it, it means he put out a racist, a racist depiction right. of, of Asian individuals. Right. And so, so, so but that's wrong, and we should not continue. He should not continue to benefit from putting, putting those characters in there, or, the, or people should be, be exposed to those kind of things when it's not a part of historical nature of this country. Okay, well, Vincent, we're, we're, I'm sorry. Thanks, God. We're, we're going to have to disagree on this one because I, I think you put stuff in context, and I'm going to tell you something. I, I this this is the the scary version of the cancel culture that we're now going to and it, this should scare people on the left and it should scare people on the right that now we're having people seriously say okay we want to look at, at at books we want to look at li- we want to look at literature we want to look at movies we want to look at all we want to look at all forms of this art that that's been around for you know. 100 years, 200 years or whatever, and we want to judge it by 2021 standards, and we want to say, well, this would this would be offensive if it was produced in 2021, so not only can't we just recognize that, okay, this is a stereotypical um, depiction and learn from that, but now we have to remove it so people can't ever be exposed to it, and I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't want to be making that decision for people. I don't want you making that decision for people. I don't want the government making that decision for people. I just think that you let stuff that's out there be out there, and you give it context. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. The hypocrisy of some on the left is just absolutely staggering. Now, in the age of Me Too, remember Me Too, that the whole idea that you know we, we should not tolerate sexual uh, abuse of, of women and discrimination and things like that, and, and men using their, their power to try to gain sexual favors with women and things of like, we, I, I think, you know, we, we've really, we've, we've come to a realization that a lot of that stuff went on and it was unacceptable. The problem that we've been wrestling with, I think with the Me Too movement, has been how do you judge standards by today's standards be of behavior that was alleged to have occurred 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago and, and how do you how do you prove it i mean if it's a situation like you have somebody who's up for an appointment on the supreme court whose professional life has been impeccable and you have somebody who says well gee when the guy was in high school or in college he he did this to me and, and the the issue has always been how do you judge that i mean and if it's denied, how do you judge whether somebody's telling the, the truth or accurately remembers stuff from 40 years ago? And then how do you measure it against, even if it did happen, and how do you measure that against a, a life well lived? And do you say, okay, 40 years later, you, you shouldn't be able to get this particular job or that particular appointment because of these allegations? It, th- th- those are the hard things. The easier ones, though, are the stuff that happens in, in real time. That the stuff that has, has happened within the last couple of years, and you wonder, okay, what what politician, for example, could think that this type of stuff would in fact be appropriate? And when you have politicians who are darlings of the left, well, why is it that all of a sudden, I don't know, the Nancy Pelosi's and the Chuck Schumer's of the world 
Why is it that, that they're, they're so quiet? And this is playing out with New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Now, Cuomo had his real 15 minutes of fame last March because he was the anti-Trump guy. He was the guy that, while Trump was supposedly taking all the failing right and left to try to stop, you know, COVID-19 from spreading, he was the, you know, firebrand governor from New York who had this under control. Well, we now find out that, you know, what Cuomo was doing is he was probably, his orders at least, were responsible for the deaths of lots and lots of people by ordering nursing homes that they had to accept people who, who had COVID, thereby spreading it among the least, the, the most vulnerable. But okay, but but that's but he was the anti-Trump guy, and so the media fell in love with him. Here's this guy, you know, his his brothers on CNN, and and what what a wonderful team of the, this is the, a new power group that's out there, and and isn't this great? And by the way, we'll contract, we'll forget about the nursing home stuff, and and we'll just use him as the counterpiece to the evil President Trump. Well, now it's starting to come out that, that there's a, there's a lot more to it. Um, it started in December. When a woman named um, Lindsay Boylan came forward, she was Cuomo's former deputy secretary of economic development and an advisor. And, and she came out in December and talked about how during the two years that she worked for Cuomo, she had been subjected to um, unwanted advances by him on a regular basis. She says on one occasion, he asked her if she wanted to play strip poker while they were traveling on a state-owned plane. On another, he gave her an unwanted kiss on the lips as she was leaving office. Now, okay, and, and it goes on and on. Now, this isn't something, hey, 40 years ago, did you do it when you, you know, at a, at a drunken frat party or something like this? This is while she's working for him in this day and age. Now, these allegations got very, very little play in the mainstream media because, um, I, Again, this was President Trump and you had the election thing and all that. And and the media was only focusing its attention on how evil Donald Trump was. So let's forget about, you know, Cuomo. So then a second person comes forward. Her name is Charlotte Bennett. And she's 25 years old. She was a former aide who left the Cuomo administration in November. And, you know, her, she started this by saying, for those wondering what it's like to work for the Cuomo administration, read Lindsay Boylan's story. And then, you know, she talks about how Cuomo, who is 63, she was, when she was working for him, she was 22, would make her uncomfortable by questioning her about her sex life, asking her whether she slept with older men, <clears throat> and um, asking her if he'd be willing to have a relationship with anyone under, above the age of 22. Um, let's see, that he would be willing to have a relationship with anyone above the age of 22. Um, she said, look, I, I got what was going on here. The governor wanted to sleep with me, and I felt horribly uncomfortable and, and scared. Now there's a third person that's come forward, a 33-year-old um, woman named Anna Rush, who says that uh, she was at a wedding September of 2019, first time she met him, Cuomo placed his hand on her lower back, which was exposed, removed his hand, and grabbed her face with both hands and asked if he could kiss her. She she then pulled away. I was so confused and shocked and embarrassed, I turned my head. I didn't have any words in that moment. So Cuomo, his response now is, well, gee, I'm I, I'm I'm sorry if if this conduct. I I can't believe that anybody would have found it to be. I I didn't mean it to be offensive or anything like that. I mean, 
seriously. Okay, you're 60-some years old. You're asking a 22-year-old woman who works for you whether she likes to sleep with older men. But I didn't mean anything by it. There was, I, I can't, I'm shocked. I'm shocked that she would take this in this fashion and be uncomfortable. I mean, give me a break. But, but the hypocrisy here is that, you know, because Cuomo was the darling of the left, it's that, okay, well, you know, we, we need to investigate. We need to be concerned. But where, where are all these voices that, you know, when, uh, again, it, it's decades-old conduct engaged in by a conservative, they're demanding that the Supreme Court nomination be pulled or whatever. You know, this is recent conduct engaged in, allegedly, by, you know, Andrew Cuomo, who now doesn't even appear to be denying that it occurred, just he's stunned that, that anybody could have interpreted, gee, a 22-year-old assistant, do you like to sleep with older men? He's stunned that that could have been interpreted as anything other than just, I don't know, being playful. And Actually, I sent out a tweet about this. He said, well, I was just being playful, and I have no doubt that he was being playful, but that doesn't mean it wasn't offensive. Look, I, I, I don't know how you judge this stuff in the Me Too era. I, I, I don't. But but I do know that there has to be some degree of consistency. And a lot of the usual suspects who would be calling for the resignation and calling for the head of somebody like Andrew Cuomo if he wasn't a prominent Democrat are suspiciously silent on this. I don't know if he survives this. I don't know if he should survive it. But the idea that I was just being playful and I was shocked that somebody could be offended by this, you know, just give me a break. Just give me a break. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. You've heard the incredibly compelling stories. Now you'll have a chance to make a real difference in the fight against congenital heart defects. Be here Friday afternoon from 4 to 5 during Wisconsin's Afternoon News for a special Radiothon where we'll be raising funds for the Children's Heart Foundation. We need each and every one of you to help. So please text the word CARES to the Acunet Mortgage Talk text line at 855-616-1620 and be here Friday for this culminating WTMJ CARES Radiothon powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum and sponsored by Professional Construction, Inc. One, one final thought on the Cuomo thing. I'm getting a couple texts from people who are saying, well, that, but why, why should we care about Andrew Cuomo? Remember remember Donald Trump, he talked about you know grabbing women, and, and he ended up getting elected. Well, okay, if, if that is now the standard. Now, I don't think anybody, at least I hope that there's not too many people, that would look at what Donald Trump said on that Access Hollywood interview when he was caught by the hot mic and, and say that, oh, th- this is something to be proud of, et cetera, et cetera. I would hope nobody would say that. All right, voters made a decision. But is now this going to be the standard moving forward? And is this what, what does this do for the Me Too thing? Okay, well, you had Trump, and Trump bragged about grabbing women, and so now that's okay for we're not going to be upset if Andrew Cuomo goes up to 22-year-old aides and asks them, hey, you know, what, have you ever thought about, like, sleeping with older men or anything like that? I mean, I just want to know what the standard is going to be. D- does Me Too matter, or, or doesn't it? I mean, ha- has that, in fact, jumped the shark? And for all the people on the left and on the right who were appalled by some of the things that Donald Trump said during that interview, rightly so, okay, is this now the standard? Okay, because Trump got elected, anything goes. Is that is that really what the environment is going to be? Because I get a lot of that now. It's kind of like, well, how dare you criticize somebody for this tweet? Because didn't you see the tweet that Donald Trump sent? Well, all right, is that going to be the standard? Yeah, Trump sent out some tweets that I thought were really, really appalling. So does that mean that anything goes nowadays? Is that really the standard? That 
That wasn't what I was hearing from people who were complaining, rightly so, about the tone and texture of some of President Trump's tweets at the time. All right, just saying. Okay, let's uh, move on here. This is one. This is one of these topics where I, I confess I'm probably going to irritate all of you. My take on this, because in some sense everybody's right and everybody's wrong. Uh, a group of Wisconsin Republicans are pushing for legislation which would ban transgender athletes from playing in women's sports. So th- th- this is the story. You you have a, a 16 year old biological boy who identifies as a girl and wants to play women's sports. This bill would ban that. All right, so that that's the issue that, that's here. What it, as a practical matter, will Tony Evers ever sign this? No. Um, it's being denounced as being, oh, that this is this is hateful and this is terrible. I don't know that it's that. But to me, even if you agree with the bill in principle, my question would be, why now? Now, see, see, here's the deal. I, I there's no question that biologically, boys and girls, men and women, are different. They're, they're just, they're, they're just is. They're, that there's a physical difference. You take a, a typical 16-year-old boy, and let's forget the genitalia. You take a 16, t- typical 16-year-old boy, put him next to a typical 16-year-old girl, from an athletic perspective, and the, the boy is probably going to be stronger. The boy is going to be able to run faster, jump higher, do all those things. That, that's the physiological difference between boys and girls, which isn't to say that there aren't some girls that can run faster than boys and things like that. But, but there's, there's different body structures, different chemistry. That is, that's just the reality that's out there. If you ask me, is it fair to have a 16-year-old biological boy competing against 16-year-old girls, the answer is clearly no. The boy, the biological boy, has the advantage. Now, I understand, and so, so then the question becomes, what do you do with the biological boy who identifies as a girl? You know, wants to dress like a girl, wants to, you know, be, be called a girl's name, identifies with that. And there, there is a percentage, not a large percentage, but there is a percentage of society that does that. So the question becomes, if you have that biological boy that identifies as a girl, you, you can treat that, you can treat him as a girl, call him a girl, all those types of things. But is it unfair to allow that person to compete against biological girls? Because that person would have an advantage. They're physically stronger. They are different. I, I think that that's a truism. That is a fact. All right. So to that extent, I understand where this bill comes from. The flip side, though, is, is this a problem? And, and by that, I mean, I, I've been reading all the stuff about this. And as near as I can tell, in Wisconsin, there's been maybe one or two situations at, at best where you have had this situation actually occur. Because in Wisconsin, the WIAA has this rule that in order for the boy, the biological boy, to compete a, a, as a against girls, 
what you have to do is you have to go through hormone therapy. You, you have to jump through all these hoops. And my understanding is there, there's been one or two kids that have tried this process, and I don't know that anybody has succeeded going through it because, again, it, it's it's very, very complex. You have to have a year of hormone therapy. You have to have all these permission slips. You have to get permission from your doctor. It, it's not something that's easy to achieve. So it's not like you have girl sports which are suddenly being overrun by biological boys who want to participate in them. I mean, it's it's a non-issue. It is also a very controversial and divisive issue because there are some people who say, well, if you're born a boy, you, you, sh- you should be a boy, period. There are other people who, again, say, well, you know, it should be kind of like anything goes. If the child identifies as a girl, you know, they should be allowed treated as a girl in all different aspects. And if that means they participate in sports, then they should be participating in sports. It's a very, very divisive issue. I understand what the legislature is trying to accomplish as far as, like, level the playing field. But it seems to me it's a non-issue in in Wisconsin. It's not like it's happening. It's not like this is an issue where, oh, my gosh, you know, all these these biological girls are getting kicked off the basketball team because there's all these um, biological boys that identify as girls that that are are taking their spots. I just – I'm reading all this, and to me – Regardless of how you feel on this issue, and I do legitimately see, you know, both both sides of, of the issue, and I certainly understand the merits of you, you don't want biological girls being driven out of youth sports by biological boys who identify as girls who are then taking those spots. I, I understand that in theory, but it's not happening. So my question is, why why waste the psychic energy in fighting about something that as a practical matter isn't happening now we're getting legislation like this in about 20 states or so that would ban this from happening whether it's legal or not i i don't know but to me when you look at all the very real stuff that we've got going on now, you know, how do you fix the economy? How do you get people back to work? How do you deal with the very, very real issues of crime? How do you deal with issues of taxation? How do we improve the roadways? You you go on and on and on and on with a variety of, I think, legitimate issues. And I'm thinking, why are we spending any amount of time going down this particular culture war when it's it's a problem or a solution that is that's looking for a problem because it's not a problem in the state of Wisconsin now it's not a problem in most states of the country I don't know if it's really a problem anywhere like I say here in Wisconsin the WIA has a, a rule that I think is is reasonable that makes it well, that, that provides a safeguard, at least, to make sure that you're just not going to have a whole bunch of boys coming in, claiming that they identify as women and then taking over the, the girls' soccer team or something like that. The hormone therapy, all the requirements, we've got this in place. So I, I just kind of look at this legislation and I think, you know, why? What, what are we trying to accomplish? And wouldn't we be better spent, I don't know, picking another issue and fighting about that? Just asking. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. As predicted, I was just looking at all the texts, and I'm getting nasty texts from the left and nasty texts from the right. Um, Jeff, this is my favorite one. You radio guys are always criticizing lawmakers. Why don't you guys run for office and do what you want? 
Oh yeah, right. That's that. That's that's the last thing that, and that's the last thing you want is me in the state legislature. Um, actually, it's the last thing my wife would want too. To tell you the absolute truth. Okay, hate to say I told you so, but I told you so. There, we're, we we don't have enough vaccine yet to give everybody who wants one a, a shot. Right? It's a problem because we have done thus far a lousy job of getting the vaccines to the people that need it the most. Now, we've talked about that from time to time, and I could open up the phone lines, and we would still get lots of phone calls from people who have just really been trying to run through fire to get their elderly parents or their older parents um, get get them appointments for vaccines. We, we've, we've done a lousy job. And if you want to blame the Evers administration, there's blame to go around. If you want to blame the Trump or the Biden administration, there's blame to go around. But we've done a lousy job of doing this. One of the problems that we have, at least short term, is how do you prioritize who gets the vaccinations, given that there's not enough? Now, hopefully this is going to be a conversation we don't have to have in May because Biden says there's going to be vaccines enough for everybody. OK, good. Hope that's I hope that's the case. But right now there's not. So we have to pick and choose. Well, the, the initial round was okay. people in nursing homes, frontline health care workers. I think everybody probably agreed with that. Then it was persons over 70 and emergency responders. Okay, I think everybody agreed with that. Those are the things that make sense. Then the question is, who's next? Who gets the vaccines next? Who wins the the lottery of life? And how do we pick and choose? And so in some states, they they try to pick and choose between the the so-called essential workers. And we're going to but we don't have enough vaccines to go around to all the essential workers. So do we say, all right, the the 25, the, the 30 year old truck driver in perfect health who's been, you know, driving the groceries and driving the delivery trucks since March. You know, he's an essential worker. Does he go to the top of the list? Is he more essential than the 45-year-old clerk who's been, you know, working as a cashier at the grocery store? And then what do we do with, let's say, the teachers? Now, what do we do with the teachers who, for example, in some cases, maybe they've been back in the classrooms, but in other cases, they've been teaching remotely for the last year and will in all likelihood continue teaching remotely until next fall. I mean, because let's face it. Schools like Milwaukee Public School System has been closed since, what, last March, and we're already here now in March. The You vaccinate teachers starting, say, like last week or something. You've got to wait, depending on what the vaccine is, three or four weeks before you get the second dose. Then you got to wait another X number of weeks till you know that it's effective and things like that, and you're already into May. And so the question becomes, realistically, if kids have been out of school for the better part of a school year, are you going to bring them back for six weeks? So you have all these issues that are there. But do you put teachers ahead of of other people? Are they more essential? What about the 62-year-old with the the pre-existing condition? Who, who doesn't qualify yet because he's not or she's not 65 years old, but they've got diabetes, they've got other health issues, um, they they probably have an arguable bigger need because if they get sick with COVID, the chances that they're going to have a bad result are much worse than the chance of a 32-year-old teacher. Um, or 
a 35-year-old healthcare worker in IT who's not part of the frontline experience, but's gotten it because he works for a hospital system, even though he's sitting at home doing coding. So the question is, who is essential and who isn't? This came to a head the other day when um, Paul Farrow, who is the Waukesha County Executive, sent a letter to the State Department of Health saying, look, I mean, I, I understand that you've now made teachers, you've put teachers at the head of the line of essential workers, effective, but on Monday. Teachers have gone to the head of the line. He says, I don't think that should be the case. I think there should be a difference between the teachers who are doing the in-person teaching versus the teachers who've been and are going to continue to be at home. So, again, it's it's who gets to be the winner and the loser. And now we're having, again, legitimate debates. Is the teacher who's teaching remotely, you know, should they get ahead of, again, the person that arguably, if they get COVID, is going to have a much worse response? And how do you decide? Which is why I said in the beginning, and I continue to believe, that instead of picking winners and losers, once you got beyond the most vulnerable in a society, the people who live in the nursing homes, and obviously the frontline health care workers, once you got beyond that, instead of picking winners and losers and deciding this essential worker is more important than that essential worker or than that essential worker, the easiest, the fairest, and if you're following the science, which is what I thought we were supposed to be doing, the most scientific way to do it would have been to just do it by age. Just do it by age. All right, we're going to give the t- anybody 70 older gets the vaccine. The next class is going to be anybody 60 and older, then 50 and older, then 40 and older. Just do it by age and just have it done with it. Don't try to decide, is the grocery store cashier more essential or less essential than the truck driver? Or is that truck driver more essential or less essential than the teacher who's teaching from her living room? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Wouldn't it make more sense just to do what several other states are doing and just simply say, we're doing it by age? Because we're following the science and we recognize that the age of people is in many cases, the single most controlling thing as to whether you're going to have, if you get COVID, whether you're going to be hospitalized and whether you're going to die, which isn't to say that some 23-year-old can't get COVID and die. Yes, that happens, but that's not statistically where the numbers are. Shouldn't we just be doing it by age instead of trying to pick winners and losers? And how do you do that? Because you end up splitting these hairs that, to me, you know, okay, you're, you're going to say teachers. Well, should this teacher get it? Should that teacher get it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I say just do it by age. It's the fairest and most scientifically reliable way to decide priorities for vaccines. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I think you know this trying to pick winners and losers and decide. Okay, this is we we think this group of essential workers is more essential than that other group of essential workers. I, I think it's a fool's errand because you're never going to be able to. You're never going to necessarily be able to get it right. To me, if you want to follow the science. The easy way to do it is what some states are doing. Just do it based on age, recognizing statistically that the biggest indicator of a bad result is that the age. The older you are, the more likely you are to have a, a bad reaction to it. Okay, let's start with Jill in New Berlin. Hi, Jill. 
Hi, Jeff. I want to say that I disagree with you on the age thing. Um, in our family situation, I have a 45-year-old daughter. She developed cardiomyopathy three years ago from the flu. She had the flu really bad, and the doctor missed it and put her on antibiotics. So now she has dilated cardiomyopathy, and she is overweight. So she has two risk factors against her for the COVID-19. Her chances of survival are pretty slim. We have been living in fear for the last year. You can't get her a shot. And the fact and uh, the ironic thing that happened in our family is yesterday my 39-year-old healthy son got a COVID vaccine because he works in the schools. Mm-hmm. And he felt guilty about it. He was ready to cancel his appointment. And I said, no, get your appointment. That way, the more of us in the family that get vaccinated, the better. We can keep her safe. She has two little girls. Okay, but let me stop you there, Jeff. She's not getting the shot now, right? I mean, the, the way we're doing it now, no. she's not an essential worker, so no. she's she's not. No, she under my scenario, she's at least probably going to get it before she would otherwise. You know, that's and and then your son, and he shouldn't feel guilty. I mean, if they offer it to him, and that's the rules, there's nothing wrong with that. But it, it makes no sense that your your 39 year old, otherwise healthy son, would get it ahead of somebody like your daughter or some people that I have in mind who are in their early 60s that have underlying health things. I'm I'm just saying the essential workers thing doesn't make any sense at all, trying to pick and choose winners and losers. Yes, I agree. But it, the whole rollout thing, I mean, if you did it by age, she still would be way down the line. Yeah. It's like she is critical. She needs to get she needs to have the vaccine. So you think what and, the, and, and again, I, I think you can make I mean, thanks, to think no, that if what if she gets the COVID and she ends up not making it through, mm-hmm. you know, say a month or two from now, and she couldn't get that. We're that close to getting the shot, yet she can't get it. I, it's just so not fair. No, Joe, and I, I understand. And I think, again, you know, for the people with with the huge underlying health issues, I think you can make a strong argument that, okay, maybe maybe they should go to the head of, of the line, certainly ahead of the 33-year-old or the 39-year-old, and I don't mean to pick on teachers, I know that's what it sounds like, I really don't, but the 39-year-old otherwise healthy person. Okay, you, you can make a strong argument, and if you want to figure out how you can identify, you know, what underlying health conditions are the most severe, I, I'm willing to have that conversation. I'm not sure how... As a practical matter, you, you do that. But again, I, I go back to the premise of you, you have to have some sort of standardized way to do this because otherwise what's happening is the people that are getting the vaccines are not the ones who need it the most. 855-616-1620. Uh, let's talk to, is it Roger in Milwaukee? Yeah, how you doing today, Joe? Real well, um, thanks. What do you think? I am. Um, well, I agree with you. It should be by age. But when I listen to the news, what fu- what frustrates me is I, I'm 63, so I can't get it yet, and I want to. Right. But then I hear these stories where older, uh, the older people who do qualify for it, and especially, let's say, the black community and the Latino community, who are somewhat reluctant to do this, and some of the elder people... They want to wait till more test data comes in before they take it. So here there's 100,000 vaccines that aren't being used or being delayed because the people they were allotted for 
aren't willing to take them yet. So when do you finally pass on the next 100,000 to the next age group? Well, I guess I, well, Roger. Let me let me answer. I'm sorry. I'm kind of pissed. I I I don't think we're we're just stockpiling vaccines that are available and not being used. Because I, I think the, the the groups that we still have that we've prioritized, they're still using it. They're, but you're you're exactly right. I mean, the vaccination rate in the minority community is not what it should be. There's no question about that. And be and and there's a lot of reasons for it, including I think maybe maybe some distrust of some of the the government resources, maybe a, a lack of a normal medical care, maybe a lack of access to the Internet and stuff. I, I know some people in the 80s who've just had a tough time just trying to, to figure out how to sign up because, you know, no, they're not getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning on these Internet. So I, I don't think, at least my sense is that we're not withholding a bunch of vaccines. They're, they're using all the vaccines that they have as they, as they try to get more. It's just as we move down that line, how do we do it? Here's a text. Jeff, I'm 64. We're in Arizona for the winter, and that's what they did here. They just opened it up to 55 and older. We're getting our vaccines on Monday. They said they did it because most of the deaths and hospitalizations were people over 55. Yeah, that that's that's right. I mean, that's what the numbers are. And so I've been told for a year to follow the science. Well, I'm just saying maybe we should follow the science and realize while nobody wants to get COVID, the chances of... The, one of the biggest predictors for a bad result is age. So doesn't it make more sense to give the people who are more likely to have the bad result, give them give them access to it, knowing that even though nobody wants to get it, your typical 30-year-old, typical 30-year-old is going to get it and is going to be able to recover. Understand there can be some bad reactions, but until we have it all enough to go around, you know, maybe, maybe age, isn't that the simplest way to do it? Just ask it. Back with more in a minute. Just a minute. And this is Jeff Wagner. Okay, here, here is at least some good news. The, the There's just apparently been a compromise reach between Senate Democrats and President Biden on the, this COVID relief bill, this massive thing that's moving through Congress. One of the things that they have just apparently agreed to do is to lower the income limit for eligibility for the, these $1,400 checks that they want to send out as part of the stimulus plan. Um, originally, they were going to go to people who made $100,000 or more or couples with $150,000 or, or $160,000 or more. They've now cut this down. So the, the cutoff is now seventy five grand for individuals. So at seventy-five grand, they start to phase out. At eighty thousand, you lose access to the stimulus. That that is a good step because my beef with the stimulus stuff that they did last year was they sent the stimulus payments to a lot of people who didn't need the money. And you know we've talked about this on, on multiple occasions. People were just surprised. It, it's retirees that have uh, again maybe a low adjusted gross income, but lots of retirement assets. Suddenly they get all this money as part of a taxpayer bailout. That the money needs to be targeted to go to people who have been impacted adversely by COVID nineteen, not people that have hundreds of thousands of dollars or more sitting in retirement accounts, but nevertheless qualify because their annual income isn't that great. So apparently the deal is that $1,400 check, they are going to go out, so they didn't reduce the amount of the check, but the number of people who qualify for it is going to go down dramatically, which means that some people who got the checks in the last round aren't going to get them in the next round as well. Uh, The deal also keeps 
unemployment benefits at $400 a week um, rather than increasing it as dramatically as some wanted. It's, it's, a, it's a reasonable compromise that, that's out there. Some people really got crushed economically by COVID. I understand that a stimulus for those people is appropriate. But for people who didn't lose their jobs and actually saw their income go up or simply don't, don't need a bailout from the government, you shouldn't do it in that fashion. Okay, that's just about it for me. We've got Brewers baseball coming up. It's a full nine-inning game today. I think they played six or seven yesterday. I'll be back 12 noon tomorrow when we end up doing this all again. Lots of stuff on the program. Please follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. There will be new postings up as well. For me tonight, it's my nephew. Well, yesterday was actually my nephew's birthday. He turns 14. We're taking him out to dinner this evening, or we're at least getting dinner and bringing it over to the house, I think, is how it's working. So happy birthday, Alex. Have a great Wednesday. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. We'll be right back.